Hey there, this is Pam Perry. All right, we are going live. So, all right, all right, okay. So we are here with uh, Speakers Magazine podcast, our debut one with Dennis Kimbrough. He'll be joining us in a second, but we'll be talking about obviously his books. He's a New York Times bestselling author of all things about what makes the great great, uh, daily motivations for African-American success, a wealth choice. And of course, everyone knows about Think and Grow Rich a black choice. But one of the things that we're going to talk about, this is the paperback. So if you, I like hardbacks and paperbacks. So depending on, I, I don't know if you can get the paper, the, the hardback, but I do. Uh, the thing of it is, is that we're going to talk about how to create your own economy. And uh, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough did a uh, graduation uh, speech about that. Um, you'll see it on YouTube on his channel. But today you kind of get a little bit of how we'll be interviewing him and uh, what that's all about. But one of the things I'm going to give you a personal thing about Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, his books changed my life. Books change people's lives anyway when they're motivational. But his books really changed my life. This one particular one came out in 03, okay, 2000, 03, right? Not 1903. <laughs> and then this one too, as well. And then all of these. So he, we're going to give a little bit of backstory about how they got started. But one of the things that I would like to say is that when you meet someone that is really, uh, the reason why I do PR and do literary PR and love authors and speakers is because they do change lives. And one of the reasons why I do it is because if he didn't do what he was supposed to do in terms of his messaging and his work and his writings, it wouldn't affect me and I couldn't affect other people. And so I've always had this, this feeling of wanting to promote positive people, products, publications, all of that. That's why, you know, he was one of the, the chosen ones for Speakers Magazine cover. But when I think about what we're talking about today, how to create your own economy, I remember reading a book in 1993 about making a living without a job. This is probably like pre-internet, right? And uh, by the lady by the name of Barbara Winter. And I read that book and I love that book. And I gave it to everyone because I had a clue at one point in time that I could actually do what I love which is writing and communicating and make a living. And she talked about maybe doing newsletters. At this time, it's before what they call the gig economy. But really, we can create our own economy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to bring up Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> How are well, you? Well, I, I like that. <laughs> Well, I want to also just give the formal bio for those that don't know you. You know, obviously, you're a New York Times bestseller, Napoleon Hill Foundation certified trainer, professor, and all of that. But you also are a uh, professor and have been an educator for many, many years. And um, a, a dad, granddad, a lecturer, a researcher. And that's really the main thing that you are. You love doing the research. And that's one of the things that, that kind of led you to doing the first book. So kind of give us that backstory about thinking Grow Rich, a Black Choice. Oh, man, Pam, where do I start? You know, um, I guess I should start 
that's what I'm doing right now because I'm working on the revised edition uh, that got my fingers crossed. Hopefully, prayerfully, I'll be finished with it uh, by the end of this calendar year. I got a number of interviews that I've got to close out. How many but this book goes back to yeah, this book goes back to 1991, and I just got through sharing a story because I was asked a similar question. Okay, what gave you the idea to do this and blah blah? And when I I defended my dissertation, and I knew that I, I knew my area of interest, and while I was wrapping my head around, okay, what do I want to get started? What vein? What road do I want to go out? I literally stumbled, Pam, on an article that Time Magazine wrote about Martin Luther King and the Montgomery bus boycott. And Time Magazine said in 1955, there were only five black millionaires in the United States. So I forgot about, you know, Dr. King and the Montgomery bus boycott. My mind just focused back then in the 1980s on these five black millionaires. And so I researched them, and they were number one, John Johnson of Ebony Magazine, T.M. Alexander, the insurance magnate, the insurance mogul, who was right here in Atlanta, S.B. Fuller, who at the time was the godfather of black entrepreneurship, um, Dr. Uh, uh, Gaston, um, oh, I'm thinking of his name, but, uh, oh, man, Dr. James B. Gaston over in Birmingham, Alabama. And last but not least, um, Charles Clinton Spaulding, North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company up in Raleigh, Durham. So I did my homework and Pam, it was at that point, you know where I shared the story with you, that I pulled out a legal sheet of paper and a pen and I wrote down 50, 60 names on that sheet of paper who I was going to meet and interview you know, trying to find the keys to success and wealth mm-hmm. and this, that, and that. Those five individuals were at the top of the list. Now, just think about this, Pam. Number one, that they were still living, right. you know, 1955, there were five black millionaires, and here we are in the early 1980s. The only one that had transitioned was Charles Clinton Spaulding. So, long story short, I flew to Chicago, knocked out a couple, S.B. Fuller, John Johnson, who I got a chance to interview twice. I went over to uh, Birmingham, uh, Alabama for the better part of the day, interviewed A.G. AG Gaston. Mm -hmm. And then right here, I spent an entire afternoon with T.M. Alexander. And what makes his story so unique, he was the individual that insured the cars that were used in the Montgomery bus boycott. Mm, uh, great stories in life oh my god did you ever did you ever get to interview nelson oh no no not at not at all he had so he had so many gatekeepers and everything yeah but i've read both of his books and i'm glad you brought that up because at harvard b school his uh his eight leadership lessons was mandatory reading for incoming first year mbas what oh oh yes Oh, yes. Yeah. So this, um, this picture, too, by the way, was taken by Monica Morgan. So I do want to wow. give a shout out to that. So, yes. Yeah, so this was one of the pictures that she does. Monica Morgan's from Detroit. But wow. Yeah. Oh, and my why God. Was, and, you know, and, and why was Nelson Mandela so beloved? Two reasons. Number one, his character. And yeah. number two, he lifted as he climbed. Mm-hmm. He didn't leave anybody behind. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. You know, as he climbed, he reached back and grabbed somebody. And sometimes he couldn't even reach back. He had to reach over, you know, mm -hmm. to get somebody and say, hey, we can do this. And Just you like know, you he, know, you do the same thing. I have seen you in spaces where it doesn't matter who the person is. And you've interviewed millionaires and, and, and even to the students, you will lift people out and you i have seen you tell people that you know what's your story and they'll tell you something and, and, you, and you won't take excuses you'll motivate them and it's just like yes sir you know uh, <laughs> i got a bad habit of getting in people's face man i gotta do that man wow yes. well i you know I, I i guess that's just my nature that's part of my that's dna now i know in a circuitous framework i answered your question but that was really, and I'm glad you, you know, you asked that question because that's literally how it happened. And like I said, even though I couldn't meet Charles Clinton Spaulding, I went up to uh, Durham, North Carolina and spent two days at North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company interviewing family and friends who knew this man best. And that's why I was inspired. You held up um, Daily Motivations for African-American Success. Yes. I got it memorized. Yes, yes. Go, go, I, to, go, to, pay, go to May 13th. May 13th, because that's what it, it is, like one of those things where it just sits on your on your on your nightstand and it's like the first thing that the first thing that you <laughs> off in the morning it's got to be positive and this is it. So May 13th. Now, are I you have, trying to hustle me? Ah, so are you trying to hustle me? And that is Charles uh, Clinton Spaulding, and I'm, I got it memorized. Charles Clinton Spaulding, super salesman and founder of North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company, was asked what it takes to get to the top. The same that it takes in any of taking hard work and determination. But most important, you got to hustle. hustle. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Hey, but one, one of the things it says hustle is doing something that everyone else is certain cannot be done. Hustle is getting the sale because you got there. First, and hung, hung on, on after others gave up. Gave up. Hustle, hustle is burning the hustler, And hell if you're not. Hustle is the only way in which you're going to reach your dreams and goals. Bro. Wait, hustle is missing lunch. Hey, hustle is yeah, burning <laughs> the midnight oil. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Oh hustle God. is missing lunch. Hustle is believing in yourself when no one else will. Hustle, you got to say I hung up your wall. I don't know. I can go on and on and on. Now, live, <laughs> Ah, this ah. is this is the truth. This is the truth. So when you wake up in the morning, you know, do your prayer, meditation, read the Bible, then read this. Okay. Wow. This is the thing because it's a daily thing. And and listen, this this book came out a while ago. Was it oh three? Okay, you signed it in oh three, but I think it came out before that. Did no, not yet. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. And you ready for this, Pam? Number one, I didn't want to write the book. I mean. Random House just beat me over the head and shoulders. You got to write it. You got to write. I said, no, my next book is What Makes the Great Great because that's where I spent the bulk of my life on. And they said, no, you know, people are saying they pick up Think and Grow Rich and whatever page they're on, it's almost like a, a daily motivation for them that day, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I finally acquiesced and I said, this is the way that I want to write it and the like. I'm glad I wrote it. Not this because one, of this, Pam, this will blow you away. Okay, here's a book that I gave them a lot of pushback. I look back on it and I'm glad that I wrote it. And don't you know, since the day that that book was released, two royalty statements a year for more than 30 years. What? Oh my God. Now see, that's what I'm talking about. Using your gift or using something that's so <laughs> natural for you. Yep. 
to do that you get paid for. And that's how people can create their own economy. That really is it. Because I remember the first time, you know, I'm working a job and I'm working as a, a publicist. And I remember someone came to me and says, hey, can you uh, do some work for us? And I didn't know at the time I was in my late twenties. And they says, how much would you charge? I says, I don't know, 500 bucks. And I'm telling you when they paid me for something that was like so easy to do, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I was like, this was easy. And that's when I really started thinking about how to really create my own economy or make a living without a job. I just grew up in an era where you just needed to have a job. I never, a lot of people didn't even know how to spell entrepreneur back then, much less yep. like the, to start a business. And then I started the business from home, which was unusual because people were like, well, you don't work from your home. I like, mm -hmm. I don't need an office to do what I need to do. I just need the a computer yep. and the internet in a phone and and that's really what it is and so today it's the creator's economy and one of the books that i that looked at a long time ago too was how to make a living with your writing so if you write mm -hmm. i mean there's all kind of writers that you could just do writings for and um but the the key skills are what makes the great great the strategies for achievement because a lot of people do want to be their own boss but if yep. they're not motivated they will fail OK, so it's like, well, I want to be my own boss. I want to keep my own hours. I want to be able to wake up when I want to wake up and do what I want to do. And I was like, they don't have. Oh, they are lost. <laughs> lost. You were work. What, number one, you are your own boss. That's a part of the creator's economy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I told those students. The biggest mistake you'll make in life is to think that somebody else signs your paycheck. You're in the creator's economy, whether you want to or not. And then everybody says, well, I want to be financially independent and I want to do this and I want to do that. Once you hit that level, you will work twice as hard for yourself that you will ever work for anybody else. That's so you can forget about sitting back with your feet up drinking umbrella drinks. You know, I wanna, <laughs> what in the world are you thinking about? So that's a part of the credit. And, and now we don't have a choice because... Part and parcel of the creator's economy. Number one, average is dead. I mean, now you don't, listen, you don't meet expectations. You've got to exceed expectations in this economy. And yeah. again, going back to what I said on that Saturday, you know, uh, either you be extraordinary or you're going to be forgotten. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I mean, you don't have to compromise in order to be recognized. Focus on what you said, your unique skills. Your unique gifts. Mm -hmm. Now is the time for you to be expressive, you know, and when you do focus on your unique gifts and unique skills, I mean, excellence is going to come into the, into the picture regardless, mm -hmm. because that's something that you're completely engaged in. So the key is to fall in love with what you are doing, and that's what you will do best. And Pam, it goes back to all the, okay, so I had six focus groups. Here I am over the course of seven years rubbing shoulders with minimum 1,000 black millionaires and not one, Pam, not one could tell me the day that they knew that they became a millionaire. Why? Because they were so engaged in doing what they would love to do, wow. what, they were, what they were embracing at that moment. Wow. I mean, they had their heads down and they were peddling as hard as they can. But they were engaged because it was their area of excellence. It was their unfair competitive advantage. And they didn't look up. And when they finally looked up, they saw themselves standing in a pool of liquid gold. Mm. They couldn't I tell me the day. And so sometimes I, 
give me the day. What were you doing when you finally realized that you were a millionaire? Man, that's a good question, Dr. Kimbrough. I, I, I don't know. I mean, me and my wife and, and one of them, um, he's the, uh, he was in advertising. And he shared with me that he and his wife had, had been eating Franks and beans for dinner for so long because they were pouring back every dime, every dollar, every nickel into the business. And it became a habit for so long. And when they finally looked up and they realized that they were seven figures, they were so well in the seven figures that they had crossed the, the millionaire threshold years ago, but they never realized because they never bothered to look up. They never bothered to change their daily routine and their habits. And they, and they looked around, they looked at each other, and he told me the story. Dear, can you believe we don't have to eat Franks and beans anymore? And she says, you know, I was sort of used to Franks and beans. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like the sacrifice became the thing. And we got someone that says, uh, strive and thrive in your own lane. Loving this conversation today with Dr. Pam and Dr. Kimball. Real appreciate the much needed insight. Wow. And it is. I mean, when it became like a day for me to really realize that um, I could be highly paid doing something that I love, really swimming in my own lane, you know, it's like yep. a fish in water. It just, it became such a release for me. And not to say that anybody who works a corporate job or whatever, that they're miserable because they probably have the gift and they're using it there. But mm -hmm. if you ever wanted to step away and do a consulting, it's going to be so natural for you to do because it's a gift that you have just sharpened the saw all while you were in corporate America. And so I just really like the fact that it's the creator's economy, but there's problems that need solutions. And if you can, mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, what I think really does best is identify the problems and, and they are the ones that are bringing the solutions. So they see things in a different lens versus someone who is in corporate, you know, corporate, the, the, the business was created to solve a problem, but an entrepreneur really does see the different problems. And and that's one of the things with me with Speakers Magazine. I saw this was a, a, a problem in the industry where not enough African-Americans were on covers of magazines that were speakers. They they are speakers. And I, I think Black people are like the best speakers. I really do. They're, they are uh, <laughs> powerful, soulful, uh, exciting, you know, you got, you got them. All, and, and I said, but there's nothing like this that it's so I'm not one to like reinvent the wheel, but I did say, well, this is something that needs to be done and showcased as part of the alignment with being a publicist, obviously, but an entrepreneur will see things and they'll, they're like trailblazers in a way they are trailblazers. They're, they're seeing problems. They're trying to, trying to create a solution for it and, and do it at scale. Oh, without a doubt. But corporate America is getting the email because number one, I mean, if you're a corporate climber, you have you've got to change your mindset, and mindset is your greatest resource. So you no longer see yourself as a corporate climber, but you position yourself as an unpaid consultant working for either you know Apple, Amazon, Abbott, whatever. So that's number one. But number two, you hit the proverbial nail on the head when you said. So, you know, what do entrepreneurs do? Well, entrepreneurs solve problems. If you're a small business owner, well, you run and operate a small business. But if you're an entrepreneur, and a lot of folks don't know that about entrepreneurship, if you're an entrepreneur, there are five phases, and I'm not going to give you an MBA class, that you've got to go through in order to be an entrepreneur. 
okay? But the bottom line is that they solve problems. So number one, it is your mindset, your greatest resource. It's not the, the days have gone how long you can look. No, it's how far you can look. And as Damon John told me, how, how capable you can look around the corner. So number one, change your mindset. Creator's economy. Number two, what I told the students, what can you do? And it always goes back to your area of excellence. What can you do? What do you do better than anybody else? What is your area of unfair competitive advantage? You've heard me ask the question before. If you were a box of Cracker Jacks, what would be the free prize inside? What is the <laughs> one aspect of you that no one recognizes, but sooner or later you will drop it on our table? Yes. Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Describe yourself in five words. What's the one word that describes you? And that is all a part, not only the branding experience, but who you are. Describe yourself in what, seven words or five words or less. Learn how to say I can. What's the one word that describes you? Inquisition, excellence, and the like. And that's what I am known for. And Mm -hmm. that will precede you more than you stepping in the room. That will precede you more than your executive presence. Just that idea. So Mm -hmm. what can you do? If I asked you, and again, going back, Pam, you heard me say this before, describe what you do. Would you say it's work? Would you say it's effort? Would you say it's drudgery? Would you say, oh, man, or would you say it's passion? Would you say it's my ministry? Mm-hmm. Advertising and PR, not, not so much advertising, but certainly PR, that is your ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, For over 30 years. Right. Yeah. If if I didn't if I didn't love it, I don't think I'd be doing it for thirty years. You know, yeah. what I'm saying? It's, it's like, like breathing this- to you. Yes. It's like, yeah, and that's what people expect from you. So I mean, that enters the room before you physically enter the room, mm-hmm. and you'd be shocked if I stood on the busiest intersection here in Atlanta, Georgia, Far Road and Peachtree, and Pam, I interviewed the next one hundred people that came by my path that crossed the intersection. I doubt if I could find five or six that could even tell me why they got out of bed in the morning. Mm. Why they got out of bed. Have you ever sat back and thought, you know, what is your unique gift? What is your talent? Why are you here? (laughs) You know, that's what I'm saying. You know, the secrets are in the books. The secrets (laughs) are in the books. I mean, I'm reading these. These came out in like 90, you know, like I'm reading these like in my 20s. You know, obviously I've got college, so I'm reading those books too. But I'm reading these books too. And I found that you were like one of the first African-American authors that I actually got to meet see, hear, watch you from afar for many years, because remember in the nineties, it wasn't that many. There were a few, I mean, obviously we had like Terry McMillan. We had, I didn't read a lot of fiction. So, you know, so, so to see a black man with some books that were inspiring, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is my life. Like, this is my life. This is like, I'm buying these books, sharing them with people. Did you read it? Do you have it? You know, I wasn't like the book club person. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just get the books and give them to people. And those are the things and promote them. And that's, that's so important because I do think books will change people's lives. If people were walking down the street and you were asking. Oh, without a doubt. You got to give them a book. It's like, it's all in here. You just have to crack it open and sit with yourself in this book. And that's, that's so important. (laughs) I mean, my daughter 
you know, will know that there's a book for every problem she probably had that that the mom mom went out and bought it. It's like, okay, she's got the library up in here. I said, because you, I can tell you, but I think if you sit with yourself and read more than just the words, but you can, your your mind just works differently when you're reading books. Mm -hmm. that's, That's all I say. Just, you have time to really mull and hear your own thoughts as well as, you know, the stew is brewing, I guess you would say. The stew is brewing when you're reading. And yeah. one of the things that I wanted to follow up on what you said about corporate climbers and you're, because you're holding up what makes the great, great. If you go to the chapter on work, okay, and uh, yes, you will see in there that I had an opportunity to uh, interview and survey the top 150 blacks in corporate America at that time. And out of that survey, I asked them 67 questions. Now, Pam, wrap your mind up. (laughs) You weren't on the set back then in 1993 and 1994. But just imagine the folks who I surveyed and I got a chance to meet and speak to. At the time, uh, you had Dick Parsons, who was the CEO of Time Warner. Mm -hmm. You had Mm -hmm. Stanley O'Neill, who was the CEO of Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a chance to meet and speak to, and not only that, but she flew down from her corporate headquarters and fudge, who was the highest ranking African-American for general foods. She spoke in my MBA class. Wow. Uh, probably Ken Chenault. I beg your pardon? Probably Ken Chenault. Oh yeah. Oh no. Ken Chenault was, wasn't there yet. Oh, he wasn't. Okay. Cause I remember he was one of the first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you know, yeah, Chenault was coming on the scene. You had Lloyd Ward, who was the highest ranking African-American for Frito-Lay, and then he became CEO of Maytag. So, there, I mean, there were some game changers, but what I was, wanted to share with you, out of that survey came two brand new technologies. Number one, um, the uh, seven values that corporate America desires, and number two, the uh, seven criteria for the correct vocation. And I use that to this day. How do you know when you are in the correct vocation? And based on that survey, they gave me a list, you know, uh, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, just you know, go ahead and connect the dots. Number one, it must be self-chosen. You must choose it. Not your mother, not your father, not your high school guidance counselor, not a dear old college professor. You must choose it. Because, Pam, the bottom line, I didn't choose to be here and you didn't choose to be here. The bottom line that we were chosen. Now, why is that critically important? Because it is not your conditions that will define your life. It is your decisions, the choices that you make. Choice. There we go. Without a doubt. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I mean, mean, the second one, it's got to be something that excites you. Yeah, yeah. And again, going back, is this drudgery? Is this work? Enthusiasm, the God within. Are you inspired? Are you uplifted? Before I tell my students all the time, don't take the job that they offer. Take the job that you want. But focus on those seven criteria for the correct vocation. Oh, my God. You know, one of the people that um, I I did have this bookmarked on on page 169 on the one in work, right? So one of the things that you, on this one, you were talking about Percy Sutton. So just tell me a little story about Percy Sutton. uh, Oh, my God. He said, strive, wait, pray, be proud. Try to find your outer limits and don't worry about falling on your face. And so I met Percy Sutton. And he changed my life. He was one of the ones that changed my life as well. Probably in the 
late 90s. And he was at Howard University at the communication school at the conference that they have every year. And I was there and he was a keynote speaker for the luncheon. And uh, we were basically there. We were like, um, you know, about to graduate from college and we were just interested in getting a job. We was like, we're passing our resumes now. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got a luncheon speaker. Who is this guy? Whatever. <laughs> and uh, Percy got up and he said, he says, you know what? Because he owned inner city broadcasting and all that kind of stuff. Yep. He says, you know, I am so proud of all these black people in this, in this room. He says, your accomplishments are great. He says, I read resume after resume. And he said, they are all just stellar. And you're very, very smart. He says, but what I look at is what are you doing for your community? Are you a member of the NAACP? Are you part of SCLC? What are you doing in the community for black people? That's what I'm looking at. I'm not saying that I, I, you know, you can't be about yourself. I said, but I will send you a letter from my perspective. If you're not doing anything for black people and I don't see it on your resume, I will write you a nice letter back. Congratulations on all your accomplishments and all the wonderful things that you're doing. But until you really decide that you yep. want to uplift black people, in the community. Yep. I can't help you. And when he said that, my mouth was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It was never put as, I didn't say this, as eloquently as he said it. And you know, from that point on, I have been pro-black about everything that I've done. Speakers Magazine is pro-black. I started organizations that were pro-black. I've been in NABJ that was pro. I mean, it was like, you are here for a reason. You're black for a reason. You're going to have to uplift the community unapologetically. And when he said that, you know, because he was the attorney for Malcolm X, right? So that was part of his thing. And Percy Sutton comes from a long list, long line, long lineage of achievers, man. That baton, he had been coached by his father, his grandfather, and the like. Mm -hmm. Now, he really had a sea change. He was really inspired because he was Malcolm X's attorney. Yes, yes. And he shared with me stories about Malcolm X. And God, I should tell these stories. My wife used to tell Malcolm X. (laughs) He shared so many stories about Malcolm X and personal excellence and making a difference. I mean, that interview that I had with him could go on and on and on and on. And what I loved about uh, about Percy Sutton, completely and totally authentic, no airs, no underlying hidden agendas, whatever. When I called and asked for the interview, I spoke to him. There were no gatekeepers. No, mm-hmm. no sure. Come on. What, what's a convenient time for you? And so just Love a him. beautiful soul, just mm-hmm. a beautiful soul. His fingerprints are all over New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the first first African-American to have the largest cable company, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So Don Barton, which is from Detroit. Don Barton, another one. Yeah. He kind of patterned himself after Percy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew all about that. His over into uh, casinos and the like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was that is it. I mean, so when we talk about black excellence and success and why we're here, uh, you had an interview with uh, Simon. And I want to have him on Simon T. Bailey. And I pulled out his book. Oh, I without book. a doubt. I had you guys. But let me read you a little bit what Simon said in his book, even though we're talking about your books. But he said he found his voice in Paris. He says, I found my unique ability. For the yep. first time, I realized I didn't have to sound like anyone else and be like anyone else. I stepped on the stage and I saw an ocean of a thousand souls in front of me. As I began to talk, each sentence became effortless and my confidence began to rise. In Paris, I discovered the me I had always wanted to be. Yep. 
And if he hadn't did that, he inspired me because I bought this book before I even knew Simon, right? Simon oh, yes. says dream. I just like the fact that it says Simon, his name is Simon says, Simon says, right? I was like, <laughs> I tell him all the time, I said, this is my favorite book. He said, that's my smallest book, my first yep. book. I said, but that's your signature book to me, right? Oh, I love Simon. I love yeah. Simon Bailey. And mm -hmm. he got that idea when Disney sent him overseas to go ahead and, and uh, galvanize a leadership conference. Yes. Um, for a number, of, well, a number of folks who were going through the leadership institute there. Well, with that's Disney. what corporate will do. Corporate will pay yep. you to go and do things. But he discovered his voice, and now he's a full-time author and speaker. And oh, without a doubt. So without much. I mean, it's a timing. I love Simon Bailey. I yes, love that brother. It's a timing for a lot of people. It really yep. is. But all of your books here, Thinking, Grow Rich, Black Choice, The Wealth Choice, uh, the one that um, Daily Motivations for African-American wow. Success, all of them, yep. all those links are there. And then also to the new revised book that you have coming out as well yep. of that one, the, of the classic, I guess you would say, the great American classic that <laughs> is in there. So, um, you know. Dr. Kimbrough, I just really appreciate you. I want people to go to your website, Dr. D uh, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, Kimbrough Speaks. Speaks. <laughs> I know, uh, I got to get used to it too. Yeah, Dennis Kimbrough Speaks, uh, com, And they can really, um, you know, connect with you for speaking. Obviously, you're a speaker. Uh, connect with you for speaking, trainings, and that sort of thing. Your natural gift is, is teaching. Uh, that's one of the things you're down there at Clark Atlanta. Uh, graduation's done. Is that everything? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. Yeah, All right. I got tomorrow, you just in time. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and unleash uh, <laughs> hundreds of new graduates every year. More than two million graduates go into the job force, and uh, hope that we prepared them well. <laughs> and, and they're creating their own economy. You are giving them the yep. confidence. I think it's so much easier now when people can can really be creators now with the technology that we have. And and uh, the the article that we talked about here, wealth is not about cash; it's about courage. Mm -hmm. And so you have inspired them to be more courageous. So that's really <laughs> like the really really the key. So thank you so much for joining us today. I just enjoy you. You are always sunshine. You know, you're always And likewise, Pam, I love you so much, girl. Thanks for everything that you do. God bless you, child. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. So that was Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. He was our first uh, Speakers Magazine podcast today. You'll be seeing it everywhere. We'll have this also in a television show as well. So it's just real organic, just being inspired by uh, people that do great books and speak. So if you can't really see them in person, you know, the next best thing is to get their books and follow them on social media. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. His videos are dope. Okay. They are so good. So make sure that you're doing that as well. And then also he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He's in all the places. So, you know, he is not letting any grass grow under his feet as well. So with that, I thank you all for joining and make sure you click the links and get his books as well. All righty. So we will talk to you later. Bye-bye.